Welcome to a new episode of the Creative Industry Insight Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby. After the success of our Chaos Menu covering FX is the Bear, we come back with a double bill of guests covering Killers of the Flower Moon. Today, we have makeup department head Thomas Nellen, who joins us to talk about his work on the film. Please be warned that there are heavy spoilers in this episode. Now let's jump into the conversation with Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you, Bobby, for having me. We have, yeah, we're here to talk about Killers of a Flower Moon that was released recently. What can I say? What an epic of a film. Um, I know people are slightly concerned about the length of it and whatnot, but at the same time, it's so great to be in an environment where they let scenes breathe and let the film breathe to then pull you in and keep you on the edge of your seat and how important this story is to be told. Well, I mean, I, I agree the movie is long. It's like over three hours. But at the same time, I found that, I mean, I've seen it a few times now. And uh, I feel that the fact that it is more than three hours actually helps for, you know, to really dive into the story and observe all the details and just feel the pain. You know, it's a, at times like, to you know, like for the last half an hour, you may be, you move back and forth on your seat, but it's actually, it's part of the experience. Agreed. And it's, I think, even though I know some of the films of that sort of length um, can be like, oh, I might be getting numb in the bum, but there's stuff where you kind of look at it and it's like, what can you cut out? What would you take out? You can't, you need to let that slow burnness really reveal what is happening and have that sort of moment of, oh, this is happening, this is happening, oh, this is clicked, this is going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely a movie that actually sinks in after you've actually seen the movie. You know, I mean, I've been the first time. I was concerned that it might be because of the the the, the all the stars we had, uh, the cast, uh, that it would maybe be a Hollywood popcorn movie, which I think Marty did a fantastic job by actually telling it in a in a way that is almost like a documentary style at times and you forget who these people are it's not that you just think of them as uh, Bobby De Niro or Leonardo or Lily for that matter uh, you really dive into it and it, 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 it leaves you space to observe it and uh, let it sink in yeah I think you need those moments as well where even the exchanges between Leo and Lily in their sort of build up to uh, what happens to the end of the film, but the same with also Leo with Bob De Niro and how he's getting his fingernails into him and sort of planting ideas of what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that whole bit, I'm curious, how did the project come about and what is it that made you want to take it on? Well, I, as I mentioned, uh, or uh, I'm from Switzerland and the, the t- I live in LA, though I've been living in Los Angeles for the last 30 years. And I had time to spend some time with my folks in Switzerland. So um, I was there having a good time on a vacation. And one day the phone rang at like three o'clock in the morning. And uh, because, you know, Switzerland is nine hours ahead of Los Angeles time. And uh, so I guess uh, our line producer, Daniel Lupi, 
start, he'd give me a call at the end of the day, which would be three o'clock in the morning, my time. And I was really, and for some reason, I turned it off, didn't put it on mute, my phone that night. And so I picked it up and it took me a moment to figure out who that was and what he said and what this is all about. And he said, you know, uh, I just want to check on your availability and briefly told me what it is and who it is with and all that. And of course, at that moment, I mean, I sat straight in my bed and I thought like, oh, my God, you know, oh, my God, this is a lifetime opportunity as I was a big fan of Marty's already and, uh, you know, and and all the cast. And um, so I told him that even if I didn't have the time, trust me, I will make the time. Isn't that funny how these certain things in like these life moments where you didn't turn your phone on silent or turn it off? And then you must have been because when you wake up as well, you're slightly disorientated. You must have must have thought you were dreaming for a second, being like, "What is going on?" Yeah, and then of course you think, "Oh my!" As you just said, I mean, you think, "Oh my God!" If I had turned off that phone, or if I, you know, hadn't picked up, what you know, what if? But then maybe I would have listened to it the next morning, and maybe you know, or maybe things would have turned out totally different. They would have told me, you know, what it's too late. We found already somebody. I don't know how many calls they put out there but i think it was um you know it was a a very selective group of people that was chosen to be part of that project and so i felt you know i felt very honored and and humbled by the by the suggestion and again amazing isn't it really just perfect timing and i guess as well if you get that sort of phone call um do you want to work on a martin scorsese picture it's like a bit of a no-brainer right you can't really turn it down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But with with a film like this as well, because it's based on true events, where do you begin with your research? Does with it being based on true events, does that make it easier for you to find looks and have so much more resources to look at when researching? And plus plus you can look at specific people to know how they looked during that time period. Well, you know, when I first, I mean, I usually, you know, I get a script and then I read it, make a breakdown. That means I I make uh, notes for every character, what their thread is through the movie. They go from, you know, where where do they start and where what do they or where do do they end up? And uh, so, of course, because this story takes place in the 1920s, I obviously the next day after I got that phone call, I started researching. Uh, 1920s French fashion and European fashion during that time because as you know the story takes place in the 1920s where the Osage nation found oil of their property and became uh, the richest people per capita in the world so that there was a lot of money to be spent and a lot of people uh, um, took advantage of the the French fashion and you know the women French fashion influences so we had people with uh, silk dresses and blouses and the pointy shoes and and hairdos, hairstyles, and keeping to the tradition of the blank. At the same time, keeping the tradition of wearing those blankets. And so, once I did, my, I I didn't know that at the time. I just researched the the, the period. And when I got to Oklahoma, um, of course, we had lengthy discussions and conversations with uh, indigenous instructors, members of our crews, and people before and behind the cameras, and Zoom meetings with Marty, what he was looking for. I learned a lot about the indigenous people, uh, about their traditions, 
uh, and of course, uh, I learned about the weather in Oklahoma, which had a big factor in uh, in actually trying to keep certain looks uh, because of the up because of the the humidity and the, just the, the weather was changing like every five minutes. So first, I did my research about the French fashion in 1920s, and in Oklahoma, I really dove into the Osage Osage part. Because I guess as like audience members, we don't really realize the certain. Uh, issues that crew will have the day to day and I think you you flag one up as well as like the weather the sort of because it changes so often what sort of issues and problem solving does that occur for you you know in terms of like heat for example if it's quite hot a few days in a row how does that affect uh, the makeup for the cast right well you know one big factor was the, the humidity it was like a you know 95 percent uh, humidity and and because we shot that movie during the peak of covid uh, everybody had to wear uh, masks we had to wear a mask goggles and face shields and in the beginning rubber gloves and uh, of course the rubber gloves uh, i mean i could deal with all this the things in my face but like just because I have to touch people and, uh, you know, you have a, a sensitivity in your fingers, those gloves, uh, I could, I just couldn't do it. And so I told them, well, I mean, I'll be happy to, you know, to disinfect my hands like every 10, 10 uh, five minutes, but I cannot put glue or put a mustache on somebody's face and my, my glove would actually stick to the face. And during the shoot, because it's not shot in chronological order, started uh when it was we, we still had snow flurries and then all of a sudden it was hot and then we had snow flurries again and then it was fall so between uh, during those times people would wear the same costumes basically and because it was very uh you know marty felt very strongly about the authenticity of the project so they some members would demand too would wear like long woolen long johns three-piece woolen suits and on top of that those blankets and it was muggy and hot, and the people between takes would wear their masks. So um, when they would take off their mask to when we got ready to shoot, you know, their half of their, uh, you know, they were sweaty. The masks were wet. The mustaches didn't hold up. At times, people basically had a mustache in their mask because it just would fall off. And then you try to, you know, just quickly adhere that back to the face or like just make. It just didn't work. So we had to come up with ideas and figure out things of how to actually prevent the mustaches to fall off in the first place by applying like layers of like a, um, it's, it's like a plastic that you adhere to the skin. And then on top of that, so they wouldn't sweat through that. And then on top of that, we could apply the mustaches. And of course, the women, you know, we would just plot down and and making sure that the, the makeups would stay. So also we had to sometimes change the makeups that it would be waterproof, sweat resistant. So we wouldn't just plot it off and have it in our Kleenex rather than on their faces. <laughs> I think, again, it's like amazing to think how much you guys have to think about and how much you probably have to reapply and worry about. Because I think as well, like imagine like halfway through a scene, somebody's doing a take, they're performing their heart out, and then you just see the moustache like fall off halfway through <laughs> just because of the heat. And just those sort of things as well, you don't want, uh, obviously you want the authenticity of people's looks to come on screen, but then also like how many times you might need to go in to do final checks um, again and again and touch people up on what might be slightly you know slightly off or might come down from 
people sweat and it's just like unfortunately it's like natural for people to do that so it's like you're fighting a losing battle because if somebody gets hot quite quickly it's like it's just nonsense you just have to be on hand to be there just to help them out and get it correct uh, any sort of mishaps or not yeah and then of course we had all those masks in between takes and after a while you know i mean we sunscreened everybody and everything but after a while you know they would take the masks off and you would see a slight hint of like a white rubber band sides of their faces so then you have to take care, care of that too so it doesn't look like oh they just took their mask off wow it's like that as well or they could have like the um you know, if there's a sun, slight sort of um, like a farmer's tan of where the mask was to where the makeup is applied as well. Yeah, uh, exactly. That must and, be gone. And you know, as we said earlier on, like the the movie's not shot in chronological order, so that means you start maybe with a scene from uh, the you know it depends on location. Maybe you only have that location for a few days or or for whatever reason, but you shoot like maybe the middle of the, the movie in the beginning and the beginning at the end and then the end like th two thirds through the movie. So in order to keep that, uh, the continuity and uh, we had to, because, you know, people when they first started coming in, in March, I was in Oklahoma in March and all the people that came into our trailer, the indigenous people, they were paler than I was. And the first thing they said to me was like, you know, you have to understand that in like three months from now, even if I don't spend time in the sun, I'll be at least like three shades darker than I'm now. And which happens to me too, you know, I, I yeah, just by, you know, just, it's just the nature of it. And so we had to um, come up with a, with a plan to, to actually make darken the skin tones a little bit, warm them up like three shades. And then as as we got along through the story and people actually started to tan up themselves, we then could actually pull back of uh, a product and use different, you know, tinted oils and things to actually choose just to keep the, the skin tones. So otherwise, you, you know, you walk up to a door all tanned and once the door slams shut, you're all pale again. That part had been shut like in the beginning and the other part, the walking up was shot like three months later. <laughs> Because one of my questions was about, because I do have a question about the whole chronological order shooting bit, but I think you very really important point as well is like how different skin tones and feels of how of uh, each person is. It sounds like they were very good internally, like just a heads up in a few months time, we won't be like this at all. So that probably gave you another sort of headache as well of like, oh, keeping that same sort of skin tone throughout until when you had to sort of go from, uh, we have to go from 100% for the first few weeks and then the next few weeks we'll keep it at 80 and then when it gets to the summertime, draw it back to only just 30%, um, for example. Yeah, no, I'm very, I was very glad and happy about that information because then we could actually prepare for that much more so than if we would have just started shooting and then one day you realize they're all of a sudden much, uh, much darker and you have to then sort of lighten everybody's skin tones up. So that way we could actually prepare for exactly that. And it worked out uh, perfectly, actually. That sort of planning would probably be so important because it could trip you up so, uh, further down the line, what's happening. But you were talking about as well with the shooting in chronological order. And this was a long shoot. I think I read somewhere it was about 150 days, which is 
pretty brutal um when it comes to shooting wise because i think the most i've ever done is about 125 days and that felt like there's some days where you just think like wow this is even though we're on day 60 or halfway through it still feels like it feels like a massive marathon to get a film made but with it not being shot in chronological order how do you go about keeping on top of the continuity and then also potential time changes not just in different days of shooting but also in different the time changes also in the same day of shooting right well actually you know first as i said you 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 do you do a breakdown of everything that's going on and and who is in what scene and what happens in that scene and who had been in the prior scene and so you have a, you know you map it out and you can pin that to a wall and when you get the the next the call sheet for the next day you can actually compare notes with the scenes that are going to be shot and what that implies and you let the ad department know that between scene number 27 and scene number 25 i have to change uh, certain people's makeup either they have to come to the back to the trailer because it's more time in, uh, time consuming or it's something that i can actually do on set because we're in you know in the middle of nowhere somewhere on location but you can you have to i mean you have to be really careful to take pick continuity pictures uh, and you write that down and make those notes because, you know, you have an idea of how somebody's going to look or what, what something is going to look like. And then it ends up being different than what you had expected. And because of that, then you have the, the images and the photos that you can uh, look at and compare to then, you know, work on the continuity back and and moving forward. With so if you have this is just sort of like more of a curiosity question from my mind that's come to my head. If you have let's say scene twenty five is shot is based in nineteen twenty five and then you have to go back to that same period a few days later on uh, with your continuity photos, how hard is it to sort of look at it and then create the look again, or is it just a case of looking at the photo once and being like, oh no, I know what I need to do and touch up on people's faces. Or is it a case of that you need to take a bit more time just to make sure that it's the continuity is like 100% perfect uh, from the photo taken a few days ago? Well, I mean, the, the way I work is I'm I'm like a visual person. And once I've done something, I it's kind of like in my gene pole kind of thing. So if I do something, if I, I put something on your face today uh, and I have to recreate that in, in three days later, I work out of I work from memory in a way. I mean, I, I I look at the picture and compare the notes that I had taken, but at the same time, you know, you know exactly where you were, what you did, what brush you used, how much product, and what you what you applied. And because if you then took another brush or you did something, then you you know it feels wrong, and I didn't do that. I I, I just didn't do or I wouldn't do that. So, yeah, I think it's like a it's a combination of uh, being, you know, being organized. And then, so the artistry and the organization, I think sort of they start blending, you know, where you actually, you do your your job, you do your artistry at the same time, you relate to what you had putting together for, for the shoot. Okay, so I always think, I guess everybody works very differently in how they want to recreate the looks for each day. Um, but I think it's very fascinating to hear how, you're working from memory 
but also you're probably referring to the photos but just how amazing it is like as an artist that you work from memory to build up what you did from a few days ago and it kind of does blow my mind a little bit just how as an artist that you can do that and just go about your work and then for it to look so good as well yeah, thank you. No, I mean, you know, it's, it's because sometimes I watch a movie and somebody has like, let's say, a scratch on their forehead and then it's sort of fresh and then it's bleeding and then the next day it's not bleeding anymore and then it starts to be scabby and then three days later or like in the movie, five minutes later, that that's that scab is gone and it's bleeding again or what I mean, or the the, the cut is in a totally different place. Uh, and that really pulls me out of the movie, out of the story, Then, uh, because I'm obviously an observer and looking at our work. So I always want to make sure that this doesn't happen. And so, But sometimes it happens in the editing room. You know, you, you have no control over maybe they feel like, well, this scene would work better if, it, if we would add it ahead of or put it in ahead of the next scene. And then you you don't know. But from uh, from what I can do is I can make templates when I have a, a continuity like a like a uh, like a uh, cut or a wound somewhere. I make templates so I know exactly where that wound goes on a daily basis, using maybe even freckles or as a as a as a indicator where 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 it starts and where it ends, or you know, or make make actual templates again with continuity as well it can take you as you said it it would pull me out as well where one minute it's like bleeding and the next minute it's it's all scabbed up it doesn't it it wouldn't feel right especially in the scene but i think there's a there's a scene in uh, this movie that i think is really well done in terms of how the makeup sort of changes so it's the scene of where the house is bombed and leo goes out so obviously after going to bed leo's got a clean face but once he comes back you see him slightly sort of has a little bit of soot on his face and sort of like from the fire and debris and i quite like that little detail that as an audience member you wouldn't really think about the soot that comes onto your face and clothes but when he sort of comes back then you think like oh, actually that's a really cool creative um thought and idea that i wouldn't have thought of at the time yeah and that has to do again with those breakdowns and the continuity lists you do because you know that when he in between leaving the house and coming back you might see him at the scene going through the you know through the through the certain through the the the, the beans and all of that and uh, try, trying to help and finding people so then uh, because that scene might be shot way later you know and we see him leaving and we see him coming back but then because you know what happens in between and you have a plan for that you know then you can actually create that ahead of time mm. and it all comes down to planning all from beginning and making notes of what you want to do but you you did bring up a point as well when you're talking to the natives about their looks and feels but when you're discussing with them about how they're you know the researching creating the look as well but then there's also being respectful to their traditions and their culture how do you go about as an artist sort of taking the information that you have and then also replicating it in a manner that is respectable on screen? So I think a good example is when uh, Molly's mum dies and there's a scene where she wakes up and there's uh, some tribes people who are in 
traditional look. I think they were painted red. One of them's painted red. I can't remember from the top of my head how the other person looks. But when you when you're doing stuff like that, like how do you go about making it um, respectable for for it to be on screen? Well, of course, it's about you know you have uh, consultants that uh, we were very. Uh, because it was such a delicate subject matter and we didn't want to do anything that's not in their interest or in their belief. So we had always consultants that would actually, we could come show colors, flat color. Is it a shiny color? Is it actually originally, would it be berries or is it fats or is it mixed with, uh, um, with, uh, yeah, fruit and, and plants and, and, and flowers all mixed together and, we talked a lot. Of, I mean, there was nothing I did without consulting with any anybody that would uh, sort of jeopardize the integrity and the authenticity of the look of the movie. I think as well as important, if you're coming into a whole different culture and time, being aware of what's going to be right and what's wrong as well. Because I think this could be, I think it could be like a fine line of like making it like a parody to what you really want to show on screen as well. As we mentioned earlier on, it was shot in the 20s with the French fashion and, and the, uh, European fashion influence. So we had some Osage that were more remained more traditional during those times, even though they would maybe wear more fashionable clothing. But in, in, in terms of makeup, like uh, their faces, they would uh, not wear any makeup. And I can't stress enough that, uh, you know, that no makeup and no makeup look doesn't mean that there is no makeup involved. Oftentimes it takes actually longer to create such a look, uh, to make it look as though there's nothing on their faces than if somebody's makeup is obvious, you know, because then you it's, it's about colors, it's about boldness, it's about shapes. Where with uh, like Molly, for instance, Molly, for instance, she was a, a more like a traditional like mom, like Lizzie. And then you have Anna, who is more like the outgoing, like with her little, you know, fashion hairstyle, her clothing, her makeup. Uh, and again, taking Oklahoma and the weathers into into consideration. Again, that was part of the plan, like uh, how to go about it, like continuity. Except that we there, you know, you 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 make notes and you make uh, sure that they uh, actually look, so that you feel skin. Because I felt I always feel like the more skin I see, even in everyday life, the the closer I feel to the person, I can relate to the person, and I'm not looking at a mask. And because that's skin, you have I don't know it, it vibrates and it's sort of little going like those little going back and forth. Where if you have a, a full-on makeup on, it creates like a wall between you and and your, the person you're talking to. Like glasses sometimes can be like that too. I had glasses in my life uh, for like five minutes, and then I decided, you know, then I had LASIK because I, I don't know that the glasses because I started I started when I was like forty-five or so. All of a sudden, I felt like there was always this wall between uh, or like this blind between me and the other person. And I felt I felt much closer when I took my glasses off and was actually able to see the person one on one. And so I feel about this the same way about makeup. Still, you know, the more skin you feel, the the closer you feel, the more you can identify with the person. And yeah, so there's a lot more that goes into actually creating makeup than just putting the product on. It's a whole the whole idea behind it and the thought process. Uh, I think it's very important. 
I guess as well, like skin tells a story about people and how they look. So if you have scars, for example, or even freckles or wrinkles or uh, certain things that or certain blemishes that people have as well, of like, or oh, I wonder what that might be about or what goes on, what's happened there. I think you look at uh, Ty Mitchell's character, for example, who has the scar down the sides of his face, which I think actually actually is a proper scar. But you kind of think like with his character being a bootlegger, like you kind of think like, I wonder what the backstory must be about for that. Did he get it whilst he was like a like a furnace might have, not furnace, but like the brewery might have exploded or something, or did he get it from something else? There's all these little little nooks and crannies of people that you think that like creates their character as well. Well, yeah, I mean, when he, uh, I worked with him before on a movie, and this was years and years ago, and he, in the meantime, he had, I mean, he had a horrible, uh, if we want to talk about Ty, I mean, he had a horrible accident from, I think it was a horse, and that actually fractured his skull and everything, so, I mean, he looked authentic and real, which actually helped us in the story, so, and we didn't want to sort of, like, uh, take that away or, you know, even his eye and everything that that was him yeah and because uh, when you because I, I wasn't sure if that was part of the look when i was after i saw the film to sort of research uh some of the different characters and i thought because there was also one of the questions that have kind of come to my mind as well is like because he does have one eye is um disfigured i thought that that might have been like a makeup choice but it wasn't um it's was the same with the scar but what's what I was curious to know about as well, like, were you guys involved with, like, the teeth side of things as well? And if there were people who had problems with their eyes or little things like that as well? Yeah, that's all makeup. I mean, that's a, this was, this movie was really a collaborative team effort and included everybody's uh, uh, artistry and the, uh, the knowledge that everybody brought to the table. And we exchanged, we spent a lot of time you know, talking about facts and uh, because we couldn't, because of the, the COVID situation, we weren't able to mingle after work or go out in groups and, and party and, and, and have big dinners and stuff. So the time we actually had together, we actually spent it on set together. And I think because we had, there's, you know, oftentimes on a movie, you you meet after work and you go for dinner and then you talk about the past day or you talk about the next day. And here that time was spent on set because after work, everybody would basically go home and stay in their hotel rooms. And so, of course, we had a lot of time on set to figure things out to about looks, about people that hadn't started yet. Uh, and, um, you know, like the costumes, how do they, they, you know, if somebody has a proper costume and obviously then you would think, or like a, like a, a fresh and shiny, a modern costume, you would think their teeth would be according to that. So they wouldn't have like rotten teeth and, uh, you know, the most fashionable clothing. So yeah, that's, that's all part of the, that's all part of us. And then of course, in that case, either you have something made or you or like if somebody has you know really bleached white teeth you would just take them down a little bit so they're not just like when they talk so and the the your lead actor stands next to that person and the the basically the bg person or the the uh, the this person <laughs> says something and all you can see is those white teeth in a situation where it's so it's not appropriate for you know them to have those teeth or it looks just wrong it takes you out of the picture 
or you look at that instead of something else, then of course you tone that down a little bit. I think the best like example for teeth is Leo when he smiles and then you just see these like horrible, basically they look like wood for teeth. And it feels like in this film that what well, doesn't shy away in this film story is that like you're not afraid to make people look quite as in because they're Hollywood stars, they're gonna we always see them in like a story always look pristine and perfect, sort of and perfect. But I think in this film it doesn't shy away from making those pretty people look really horrible and sort of just like all grimy and being part of that world, which again is like another reason for like authenticity of the film and not to and it doesn't shy away from it because it sometimes some of these films do. And you'll see like a Western and someone looks like perfect, not a hair out of place. Uh, they look like they have a bath at least two times a day rather than that, those sort of times. It might be once a week, for example. Yeah, well, I mean, I was the department head of that on that movie and Sean Grick and Kathy Blondell uh, were uh, Leo's personal. Leo had a personal and so did Robert De Niro. And of course, all the designs that were made, like even his, what's happened, um, you know, I don't want to go into the details because I didn't do it. Everything that had been done was always with the idea that it, uh, to A, create an authentic look for the character, because this is a historical figure that could be, we had, I mean, we had an amazing research department uh, ran by Marion Bauer. Our, she was one of our producers and we had access to folders and files and headshots of all these people that you know from the front from the side uh they are their silhouettes their uh their looks so we were able to take those and actually recreate those characters um well leo was one of them and so i think they did a fantastic job by giving uh leo a look that actually takes away it was really great for his part, for his, uh, I think it supported his, uh, the, his uh, performance and it helped him to get into his character. And it, uh, it took away from Leo, the, the, the star. So you could actually look at the character and you could forget that it's actually Leo. Yeah. And it's, it feels like what this film kind of felt like for me was like they took his boyish charm from Titanic and then just really went from the opposite side of the scale that he's just some really like greasy, unkept person who didn't really look after himself, especially now that he's come. And then also he's been weathered by being in, uh, being at, in, in war and being away from sort of uh, the homely comforts that you would have um, rather than being in... Uh, World War One, where you're in the trenches and you're sort of, I know he was a chef in the cook side of it, but I can imagine that not being quite nice to work in either. Mm. And that's, I thought actually in the movie, that was very well done, the transition from the original footage to where we're in that bus where he's sitting in and to actually when he turns, you know, from black and white, it turns color. I thought that was very well done because that also, when you see him then in black and white, you would totally believe that this is a character from the time, you know? Yeah, it's transitioning from like, um, as an audience member, you'd see from the time those sort of photos to now you're into this world. And I, I agree. I think that's a really well intro into the world and seeing what's going on um, after finding out that the Osage people have struck the oil and 
what is this you're you're as an audience member you're thrown right into the middle of the world rather than sort of you're, you're thrown into the middle of it uh with leo at the same time so you're not ahead of him and you're not behind him you're kind of experiencing it uh, in real time with him exactly yeah but there's um we talked about co- collaborations and i can imagine you collaborate a lot with the costume design also of course as well with hair design and you also mentioned about how certain actors had their own personal uh, people looking after them as well how do you guys uh, go about collaborating with one another so that you all have a time moment to shine with all your looks but then also not overshadow one another but then because you have people who are you have actors who are looked after specific people do you just let them have their own creative freedom or do you guys have discussions about this is the overall look this is what we're going to go for let's get on the same page of how everybody's going to look and feel i'm i'm the personal of uh somebody i've been the per, i mean i've been working with jeff bridges for the last 25 years and i'm his personal and so from it's actually great to see both sides the side of the department head and the side of the personal as the personal of course you support the actor that you that who hired you in the first place because you know like if you work a lot they don't want to go every time and sit in somebody else's chair and feel different um, you know people talk to have a different touch or it feels different or they have a different approach to characters and whatever makes a certain actor comfortable uh, i think that's when they reach out to that that makeup artist and say look i really like the way you do things or like the way you're thinking or the way you touch me so would you would you be interested and that's how you start uh relationships with that actor and then of course you have the department head who is in charge for the the overall look of the movie Uh, you have certain ideas and uh, you want to of course pull that through and make sure that everybody's on the same page so I have extensive conversations with uh, with personals also, and so that we're all on the same page. Like in, just in terms of uh, looks, uh, not not like what they're doing per se, because that's then again between the 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 actor and this um, the personal. But we talk about uh, you know skin uh, like uh, colors, uh, uh, sweating. So if everybody else sweats, then of course they should be sweating too, or that we use the same type of uh, blood colors that not one co- one's blood is all of a sudden like a dark red and once is bright red and one you know so just it doesn't put so it, it all comes together and it, it doesn't pull you out of out of the movie it's all about you know like uh so to, to create a common a common project and yes i do work very closely with hair department which is uh, it's very important because they, on this movie, I think they used up to like 500 wigs because, you know, some people, they come, but because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's 2023, it was 2021 when we shot the movie. Then some guys had their hair cuts, you know, those under clipper cuts, undercuts, uh, but not just, uh, I mean, it was from Osage people to us, to everybody. And so they had to create... With um, you know, they work with hair extensions and wigs and and whatnot to create those looks. And of course, once you know, once you create a silhouette where somebody is in their costume and they have their wig on with a fashionable hairstyle, then and they come into my trailer, then I basically know exactly what's required or what I need to do to support those looks. 
So then everybody basically supports everybody's, or I do a makeup and then they go to hair. So they basically know how to style the hair according to the makeup. So it all sort of blends together. So firstly, hearing about how much, how many wigs we use on this film is quite incredible as well. Like creating 500 wigs that either have to have that distinct look, but then have to be um, set for each person's head. Quite what absolute uh, Herculean task for people to create. But then also having the blending of the hair and makeup together so that it doesn't look incorrect and it doesn't, it looks all natural, uh, shall we say. And there must be so many different sort of in a testing period of like what's going to look good, what's not going to look good, how how is it, how are both they're going to blend in. And then also if you're going for that traditional look of, I know you mentioned before as well, the creating the no makeup look, which actually is harder because you're having a more of a naturalistic approach to how someone's going to look or feel. So I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like the, when when Molly herself is being poisoned and she's just sweating, but she doesn't have makeup on because um, she's getting ill and she's getting progressively worse. Is that something that's like very difficult to, you said that it's a very difficult to create, but when you're doing it, showing them from going from slightly poisoned to more and more poisoned, how do you amp up the effect and make it look naturalistic and not sort of not overdo it? Well, in Molly's case, I had like four or five looks for her when, you know, which I uh, I designed after I did the breakdown. And then once we started in Oklahoma, we had, uh, we did makeup tests with everybody with, uh, you know, with, uh, and putting them side by side with uh, Ernest, I mean, uh, with Leo and Lily and that you believe they're like in this, in that certain situation that they're again from the skin tones and everything that that works and then her uh her illness how she goes from fresh and healthy looking with some you you would feel the blood in her skin like some ro- rosiness red um, rosy cheeks and uh then less of that and then she gets a little paler and then she has a little circles under her eyes and then that gets darker and then you know we, we, we with shading we try to create uh gauntness and then of course to the time when she's like in bed and sweating and like and then you add the layer of sweat on top of that yeah so that's all uh, again that's called continuity and you know you just try to because you know when it starts you know you you have the healthy look goes from scene one to scene 35 and then from scene 35 to scene 39 is maybe the second look you know depending on what happens in the story but uh yeah so then you 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 create that and add on you know and i always say like you know to, when the ad department asks you like what takes longer in terms of scenes that has been they they're going to be shot on a certain day Sometimes we talk about whether we should change the scene order if it's in the same place, the same house, in the same room. So because it doesn't matter what what we do first, but if I if they ask me, I can always say, well, to add on is always easier than to take off because I can start with like the no makeup look, which uh, as we said is like involves uh, also the makeup, but then the more it gets like the colors and all that once you start adding that would have been something that would would have added on 
in the trailer in the morning if we had started with that second scene in the day. And then when she has to look fresh and healthy, I would have to take that off. And then, of course, it's easier just to add it on rather than taking it off. When you hear about adding on and taking off, because I think if you, what you basically start with minimal, then you can just add more and more and not worry about if you have more, if you take off too much and then going back and forth could be, I can imagine it could probably drive someone crazy. Um, especially if, as you said as well, you're a visual sort of person, getting it that just right as well would be quite difficult if you did it the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Just to get to my penultimate question as well, you've worked with some heavy hitters, um, such as Roland Emmerich on The Patriot, Coen Brothers on True Grit, and James Cameron for Avatar Way of the Water. And now you're working with Martin Scorsese on this film. What was it like working with him and how different was it compared to other directors? <laughs> That's an interesting question because I think, well, A, it was amazing to to be, you know, to ask be asked in the first place and to meet Marty. And uh, so I think his, you know, because it was so different, the whole project or the whole experience was so different because partially because of COVID, you know, at the production office, nobody sat in the same room. They all had a different uh, offices and they wouldn't talk to one. You know, they wouldn't get up and move go over to the next room and sort of talk standing in the door, talking to the person sitting at the desk. So this was this all happened via Zoom or FaceTime or so the meetings I had ahead of time with Marty were all like Zoom meetings or FaceTime um, or just like. Over the computer, over the computer, on the computer, and then of course we had the tests, and uh, and once we all figured it all out, you know, I think he put a lot of trust in everybody, which I thought was really great because then he could really focus on the actors and didn't have to worry about what we are doing because I had put the question out there after we've been shooting for a couple of three weeks. I said to the line producer, you know, uh, we never, because sometimes, you know, a director comes up to you and pats you on the shoulder and said, hey, wow, great, I love what you're doing or or, or whatever. And here, I mean, I didn't really, he never heard anything. And I said to our line producer, you know, I just want to make sure that everybody likes what they're getting or what we're doing and so that we're all on the same page and and he said he looks at me and just laughed at me and he said look if marty didn't like what you're doing you would have heard it three weeks ago <laughs> and, and just the fact that you're here trust me it's a very selective group of people so just the fact that you're here should be should actually just be the the answer of all your questions so don't worry about it. And I said, okay, as long as we no, thank you very much. I didn't look at it that way, but you know, of course, that's it's great to know. I think as well, like if you're working on stuff and no one really says anything, it does make you worry because, as you said, it could be go two ways. They don't like it, or you're doing a really good job. And I guess as well, like as an artist, uh, because it's such a visual medium, um, it's not like if you were working in an office crunching numbers where it's just going to be very different and it's quite funny how somebody says yeah you would he would have told you three weeks ago so don't worry you're doing a good job and i think sometimes you just know need to have that bit of um not a pat on the back but just to be told yes yeah, it's, it's all good keep up keep it going keep it going we're really happy with what you're doing yeah and you know oftentimes like in our job is the less people see it or the less people mention it 
it's actually that's that's the compliment it's not if somebody says oh my god you know oh my god that chin or the those eye bags or that nose that you put on that person looks amazing well if they pointed out in that fa in that way chances are it wasn't that amazing because otherwise you wouldn't have mentioned it in, in that in that way unless it's like Cyrano with the like you know has a nose like this but it's uh it all has to become part of the character and once one if the character really works it doesn't stand out and you just take it for for what it is as the character and it's then it's less um well it's not as obvious so basically it's the same as when they told me if he wasn't happy with what you're doing because i didn't hear anything that's the best compliment yeah exactly and you kind of can get on with what you're doing and continue um working hard and to create the looks for the film which leads to my final question what was your favorite look to create for the film my favorite look to create for the film well it was definitely i mean i molly was really my my main character in my chair and i really loved uh, creating those looks with her and it was very interesting because at one point, you know, when she gets really ill, that's towards the end of the movie. She So they scheduled in a way so she could break away for a couple of three weeks to actually lose some weight and to get really sort of into the the, the, the really ill uh, character. And, you know, she's such a, I call it an authentic uh, actress. And um, there was a lot of thought that she put into these characters. And then towards that time, she... To be able to focus on her part, she wanted to eliminate, you know, because it was that man that ruined her life, basically. She wanted to kind of eliminate all the ma male influences in her, for that character at that time, during that period. So we gave her, or a, 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 a girl that was actually working with me in the trailer, who then did that last stage when she's all sweaty and all that. And that was then, because all the makeups that we did were all hand stippled and hand uh, with sponges and brushes created. And then the last part was basically then like airbrushed and um, and, uh, and and the sweat added over that. So she, she could just focus on, on that part and I think it actually added another layer for her looks and I'm very happy and proud of how that all turned out I think as well like the you know, gradual nature of Molly's character because when you first see her she has a very elegant look it has a, as you mentioned as well like her sister has that roaring 20s look uh, with her hair and makeup and then Molly's gone for that more sort of classic sort of looking and that beauty as well that she's not showing herself off in terms of uh overloading her look but in terms of i don't know it's it's hard to say sort of in words not to say that not to call her plain but to say more of a like a naturalistic view of going for going for what she wants to a naturalistic view of how she looks Right. And I have to say at this point also that, you know, they had put out uh, uh, open calls uh, like a, a year prior to shooting, you know, to the to the Osage uh, people that uh, to see who is interested and want to participate in the project. 
and then COVID happened and a lot of people, they were afraid that a lot of people wouldn't be available, but everybody who had actually had answered that those calls in the first place, they all showed up and there were a lot of people that were, you know, some worked with us in the cruise, but then also a lot of them were like background or some had speaking parts sitting in our trailer, our chairs in the trailers. There was so much information for all these people had direct family members ties to this story that of like you know the their grandmother's brother or or sister or somebody had been killed and uh, so they did that they participated uh because you know they wanted to find closure or move on and leave that part of the history behind and so every day we had people in our trailer telling us their stories and it was very emotional. It was very, there were a lot of tears. There was a lot of uh, sadness. At the same time, it really helped us to realize how important the looks were for this movie that we didn't sort of, you you don't just go and like, oh yeah, we do this and we do that. So it's really it was so sensitive and we really wanted to support and be authentic of how what that must have been like to you know otherwise it would have been a slap in the face to all these people who are affected by that story when you have people that are being cast i think the story about how lily was cast is quite incredible um because i think she was very close to giving up acting until she got a message uh, from martin uh, Scorsese, but the also when you do get those people with the background and uh, other people that have been cast and uh, the story is so close to them, it's very hard to sort of imagine what it must feel like stepping in, knowing that you're about to step into the world of like where your grandparents were or your great grandparents or great uncle and the sort of world that they were living in, but then also depending on who they were, the fate that they must have had uh, during that time. And it's probably like, as you said, like we're probably getting some closure, but it's more so it must be such a solemn affair for them to get over that and to mm-hmm. just be like, wow, like how much it like must mean to them as well. Um, and and what you said as well in terms of like being respectful about the looks and what how you wanted to create it, because the last thing you want to do is be disrespectful and then sort of basically, yeah, have it as a proverbial slap in the face for them. Yeah, exactly. No, because I'd say, you know, this is, this is, I've worked on many movies or or most of the movies that I work on are based on a true story, you know, in one way or another. But then here I realized this is the true story, you know, and this is a totally different, it's a totally different ballgame. I mean, it's a totally different situation. Yeah. And again, it's very hard to imagine what it's like for people and so especially like if you've heard stories about how it must have been like for uh, relatives and then when you step onto set that must give people some sort of not necessarily like ptsd but some sort of uh, anxiety of like going on there to being like wow i've been transported into this world uh, through like the production design and set decorating and the costumes and how everything's being played out yeah Thomas, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Um, The Killers of Flower Moon is out now in cinemas. Go out, go see everybody and Thomas's work uh, on the big screen. Make sure you watch it on the biggest screen possible. Thomas, thank you again. 
Thank you very much. Have a good day. You take care and thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast.